Good morning, everyone. So this past week was the observance in the U.S. Church uh, National Marriage Week. And it culminated into this weekend where today, as a church, we celebrate World Marriage Day. And so today, it serves as a great reminder for us to see and look at the great beauty of marriage. But more importantly, to see how marriage cannot be what it is if, unless we accept the gospel of Christ into our marriages, into our families. And so to start, I just want to take a look at what St. Pope John Paul II teaches in his encyclical on the family. It says, the church is deeply convinced that only by the acceptance of the gospel are the hopes that man legitimately places in marriage and in the family capable of being fulfilled. In other words, marriage and family cannot be what it is nor can it ever satisfy unless the gospel of Christ is at the heart and center of it. So what does it look like then to receive and accept the gospel of Christ into our marriages and families? Well, I offer two things. The first, that receiving the gospel of Christ means receiving, first accepting and receiving God's love for you. For you cannot love your spouse unless, without being loved by God first. And so to understand that, we first have to remember what marriage is. Now we know that marriage as a sacrament, marriage is a sacrament of God's love for his people. God's love for his church. We see this evidence throughout all of scripture in the Bible. We see this imagery of how God uses the image of marriage as an analogy for the personal relationship he wishes to have with us. See, just one example from the book of the prophet Isaiah. He says, For as a young man marries a virgin, your builder shall marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices in his bride, so shall your God rejoice in you. God, who is our builder, meaning our creator, the designer of the universe, he wants to share his life with us so deeply in such an intimate and life-giving way that the only, the best analogy he can offer, that we can understand it, is through the analogy of marriage. And we see in the New Testament as well, the word of God exhorts us and shows us that Christ laying down his life for us on the cross, that he does so as a bridegroom for his bride, laying down his life and love for the church. And he provides that example for all of uh, married couples and spouses to imitate. And so if marriage is that sacrament that shows God's love for his church, if we don't participate in that love, we'll have limited love to give to our spouses for the simple principle that we cannot give what we don't have or have experienced. And so all the more important of it to be able to experience personally what it means to be healed by God, to be saved and rescued by God, and to really understand and receive the love that comes from his cross for us so that we can love our spouses fully. 
It also brings us to the second point, that to receive the gospel into our marriages means to accept the principle of mercy in all things. And that means concretely extending mercy to our spouses, to our family in all times, never tiring of mercy and never trying uh, to do and to forgive all on your own power, but relying on the mercy and grace of God to do so. For as we've seen an example throughout all of scriptures, that God is merciful. And we see the culmination of that mercy again on the cross, how he's given his life for his bride, the church. And so we're called to live by that principle of extending mercy to our spouses and never holding anything against them. Now, this could be hard for uh, some of us, perhaps many of us, especially if unknowingly we place the burden on our spouses of being God for us. What I mean is that looking at our spouses as the ultimate fulfillment of our life, that they are gonna be the perfect and complete uh, satisfaction for us that only God can provide. Now the problem is by laying down that expectation, that burden on our spouses is that they are not God. We cannot, all of us, none of us uh, can, uh, None of us are God, are, meant, are, are the ultimate fulfillment for the other. Now there is some basic satisfaction, absolutely. And we're all called to imitate God's love, yes. But that infinite, ultimate fulfillment can only be satisfied in God. And that is actually what's emphasized in the readings we hear today. If we look at the first reading, we see, we hear, Cursed is the one who trusts in human beings, who seeks his strength in flesh, whose heart turns away from the Lord. We hear that. The word of God isn't saying that we can't have any trust uh, against, oh, towards a uh, human being, that we always have to look at suspicion. No. So if we look and remember what the Bible means by heart, it means the very center of the person the very principle by which we organize and revolve our whole life around. And when it looks at the word flesh, flesh in this reading represents all of what uh, represents the world and the created world. And so here, what the word of God is telling us is that those whose life and whose hearts at its deepest center revolve and in place solely on human beings and solely on the created things of the world will be left in a very dry an empty spiritual place, that they will be unsatisfied. And we hear on the contrary in the first reading, continues, blessed the one who trusts in the Lord and his hopes are in the Lord. He is like a tree planted beside the water that stretches out its roots to the stream. It fears not when the heat comes its leaves stay green. In the year of drought, it shows no distress, but still bears fruit. So the person who places their very hearts, who revolves their entire life at its deepest center around God and his gospel, they are the ones that can find true satisfaction. They are the ones that find true blessedness even through any trial, difficulty, 
and any droughts, they will still bear fruits. The leaves will still be green. They'll be satisfied. And that same dynamic of choosing the way of blessedness, trusting in man versus trusting in God is shown in the Beatitudes where Jesus shows the way of blessedness and the way of woe. And just briefly, the way of blessedness, Jesus exhorting those to not place a blessed are those who don't place their hearts and their lives solely on the riches of the world, on the things that the world provides, on worldly honor. And woe to those who do. And so returning to marriages and to our families, we will find blessedness if we place our hopes and our hearts and revolve our lives around God and his gospel. And again then, as we do so, we're able to lift up that burden on our spouses of being God, the complete fulfillment. And we're able to extend mercy time and time again and to imitate that great love that God has shown for us on the cross. So to end today, I just want to invite everyone, especially those, uh, uh, those spouses, those who are in their marriages, uh, all those in their families, I want to invite everyone uh, just to invite, uh, to make a prayer, to invite God into their lives and especially into their families and marriages. And so uh, if you wish to do so, I invite everyone to just close their eyes. And as you close your eyes, I want you to picture, picture Jesus. It could be Jesus in the glory of his resurrection, Jesus on the cross. So I want you to take a moment just to look at him, be a posture of receiving. And for those who are ready, I just want you to repeat after me. Repeat after me, Jesus, I believe that marriage is a gift. And I believe that if you have not loved me, I cannot love my spouse fully. Forgive me for all the times that I have not been merciful to my spouse. And help me to love my spouse as you have loved me. Amen.